at the first service over in the sanctuary where there's a pipe organ. The, the day started off with some great pipe organist humor. She said, well, today, Larry, we're going to pull all the stops out for you. <laughs> and they literally did. Her husband was up there helping her pull all the stops out. So, so I got to turn all the pedals on. You know, I just, I turned every pedal on I had as loud as it would go because that's, that's, that's all I know. So um, I, I, I discovered something, fortunately, a while back, and that is if you, want to, uh, if you want to write the best sermon you've ever written, you can be assured it won't be. <laughs> That's a, that'll that'll uh, ruin it. So, so what I thought about today, I, we, we're here for a celebration. We're here for a celebration. And you know who we're celebrating? Jesus. This is about Jesus. I am eternally grateful to have been at this church for 22 years. I'm so thankful for all that everyone has done to make Lynn and I feel special today. But this is about Jesus. Uh, none of this, I, I, none of this, I, none of this would have happened to us were not for Jesus and a pretty, a pretty good sense of humor on his part to, uh, to let me uh, do what I've done and go where I've gone and be who I've been to get to be here and do this in this incredible church. So I'm going to recycle in bits and pieces of a couple of stories I've told along the way. And there's one in particular that I think it was one of the very first stories I told at this church 22 years ago. Some of you have heard it, and if you have, then you're about to hear it again. But, but for what I want to talk about today, about being surprised by God, I can't think of a better way to get started. And, and so... This goes back to 1985, and I'm well aware that many of you weren't born in 1985, or if you were, you don't remember it. But in 1985, I was, for one year, the announcer at Neyland Stadium for the UT Band. I was in the radio business. Their announcer had, had left town, and they needed somebody to fill in. And I heard about it, and I uh, uh, you know, auditioned for the job, and I got the job for a year. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, but it's also really scary. Uh, but the very first rehearsal that I went to was in the middle of the week at the stadium, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I showed up. And, uh, you know, because Dr. Julian, who was, the, uh, who was the director emeritus of bands there, had, you know, he was really a good man with a good heart, but he could be a tyrant. And everybody lived in fear of him. I think that's how you keep 300 people moving in the same direction at the same time. So I was, you know, a little bit uh, nervous about it. And they handed me a script. And the script is, has everything you're supposed to say. And it is, uh, the script is written along with pictures of the formations that the band is in. That's one of the cues you have to say what you're supposed to say. They have the songs listed, but sometimes it's hard to hear when you're up there and it's behind the glass. You, you can't hear that all that well. So everything's based on the formations. So he gave me the script. The assistant director did. Jim Sparks was his name. And I was standing on the sidelines, Neyland Stadium. And that, I don't know if you've been down there. It has a very high crown. And you can't see. I was, they were doing the show. And I'm looking at the script, trying to figure out when I'm supposed to speak and what I'm supposed to say. But I can't tell what formation it is. I mean, it looks, from the sidelines, watching the band perform, looks like utter chaos. It's just people going this way and people going that way. It seems to have no connection with the music. And I, I guess I just had this look of lost on my face. And so Jim Sparks come, came over to me and he said, why don't you run about 50 or 75 rows up in the stands and, and look at it? So I kind of just started trotting up the stands and got up kind of 
close to the press box and turned around and looked. And suddenly, they were at that moment, they were doing this formation of the state of Tennessee. And there it was, plain as day. And then, and you could see the circle drill, plain as day. And you could see the big UT in the field. And all the other formations that they did were absolutely clear. It looked like utter chaos from the sidelines. And it looks like chaos from all of those that are on the field doing their parts. But from up near the press box, it all makes perfect sense. It's all connected. And I didn't think this at the time because that was kind of pre-Lennon myself coming back to faith. But I remember later thinking, there it is. This, is. this is the view God has. God's looking down on our life. We're in the middle of it. We're either on the sidelines or out on the field and, and we're watching life happen and it's going this way and it's going that way and we don't have any idea what's happening. And it's very confusing. It can be very scary. But God's up in the press box, and he's seeing how everything fits together perfectly. Not, not scripting it. I don't, I don't want to ever be misunderstood. I'm not saying that God has it all planned out and it's all scripted. But he knows. He knows, but we still get to live our life in real time, and we get to make our choices. But God knows, and he sees it all. For, and, and sometimes he will let us have a press box view. But there's more to it than just wanting that. God wants to open our, the eyes of our heart so that we can see how good He really is. And so as we continue the sermon series about surprised by God, we want to talk about being surprised by God's goodness this morning. Because sometimes people don't understand how good God is because they don't see it from his perspective. And I want to address online and in person and a couple of different constituencies this morning. And I've been in both. Still are from some from time to time. Still am. And that is one, there are people who think that God must be bad because they don't come at it from his perspective, and yet they look at the world, they look at their news feeds, they look on television, they see what's happening in the world, and they say, how can this God that's supposed to be so powerful, how can he possibly be good? Look at all this stuff that's happening. It's a fair point if, you, if all you have is one perspective. And then the other constituency is people who, who don't think that God necessarily is bad, but they think he's mad. And they think that bad things are happening in their life, because they've messed up somehow, or they've just been gone from him for so long, and they think that he's rejected them, and he's just letting them go to seed and letting things happen, or maybe even worse, making things happen to them to teach them a lesson. And I want to push back on both of those today and use Scripture to do it and help us all to learn to be surprised by God's goodness, even in the middle of stuff that seems anything but good. If we're going to assume that God is good, we are presupposing a scripture that I want to lift up before we get started. It's not written down. It's my life scripture. At annual conference last week, I was part of the retirement service, and we all had to provide our favorite scripture. Well, that's easy to do, right, out of how many there are. But, but it's very clear for me. It's Romans 8, 28. I'll read it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his 
purpose. And good and love and purpose are all really important words there. And I always want to point out what this passage doesn't say is that God will just hammer you into submission and then try to do something good with it. Or God will just put all this bad stuff in your life just to see how you'll react. I don't believe that for a minute. But I do believe that God is a God of, of every detail of our lives. And so he wades into all of it with us. And what he says is, I will help you find some good in this if you're willing to work with me. So that was Paul writing from Romans, which is wonderful. Um, and I want to go to another place where he really says the same thing, hits it from a different angle. We'll use that for our verse this morning, a couple of verses. This is from 1 Corinthians. It was a church in Corinth, which is somewhere around where Turkey is today. And it was a wide open city. It was, uh, it was very secular. There was, a, there was a temple of this god or this goddess on every corner. And people believed, well, they, they worshiped stumps and they worshiped lumps of silver and gold. And they, they worshiped all sorts of graven images. Uh, so it was kind of a quote-unquote religious town, but it was, it was all over the place. And that was, that was the context of Paul's church. And he was trying to get them to understand, now, now, now there's one God. And this God is not mysterious. And see, because in those days, people thought those pagan gods would do all sorts of bad things to them if they did bad things. Or the pagan God would just turn away from them. And what Paul's trying to get them to understand is that no, yes, God is mystery, but God will reveal some of this. This is the way he said it to the Corinthians. However, as it is written, and this is kind of paraphrased from Isaiah, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, there's that word again, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. We don't just automatically know God and trust his heart that he's always got our best interest. We do have a spirit that comes on board with each, each human being has one. And God wants very much to connect with our spirit, but we don't have to. We're free agents in the world. We have freedom to choose to do that or choose not to do that. And when we don't, that's when we wind up not understanding. We can't have a press box view of our life until we connect our spirit with God's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So... There is, however, God's Holy Spirit in the world who is constantly going out and kind of drawing us toward him. Uh, Methodist moment, pervenient grace. That's what John Wesley called the grace that goes before. The grace that's always drawing us. As, as uh, one of my professors in seminary once said, as a suitor woos his lover, God is constantly wooing us toward him but we can resist if we choose to. There are these impulses and we can hit, we can find them or we can miss them. And I want to give you a couple of examples of, of, uh, of these experiences uh, that I've had where uh, I could have missed it, but something in there told me to watch. And this is important, but before I, before I get to that, let me say this. The very first part of that passage, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, Paul is talking about the way we as human beings experience the world without a relationship with God. This is in our natural life. This is the way we understand the world around us. It comes through our senses. But then the question is, what do we do with all that? That's the difference in having a press box view and having to just live life uh, in these seeming random events. We experience the world through our senses. 
but we experience God when the Spirit interprets the data. We're taken in the world every moment. And when we let the Holy Spirit interpret the data for us as to what this really means, that's when we can have a press box view and we can understand how God is really trying to surprise us with goodness, even in the midst of badness. I've told this story before. I'll touch on it. When Lynn and I first got married, uh, we were uh, married in the Episcopal Church in Gatlinburg. Her parents still uh, lived down here. Well, they had, yeah, they were still living down here at that time. We, when Lynn and I weren't in church. I was just off the road playing in a rock and roll band. My hair was still down to here. We went up to see the, uh, the priest at the Episcopal Church, Father Rice, a really nice man. And uh, so, you know, we were talking and he said, well, tell me, Larry, tell me about your spiritual life. Yeah, I know you said you grew up in church. And, you know, I'm just removed from the life of a traveling rock and roll musician, which you, all of that and all that that implies. So, you know, I'm like, well, you know, Jesus was a good guy. And, you know, we really just need to love him and love each other. And, and one day we'll all wear white robes down by the riverside. You know, it'll be great. I mean, just about that flippantly. <laughs> and, and one of two times that an authority figure uh, did this to me, uh, that was the first time. That was the second time. My father was the first one to do it. And Father Rice looked at me and smiled and said, well, that sounds really good. And then he pulled his glasses off. And he pointed at me and he said, but you're going to need a lot more than that one of these days, young man. And you know, it hit me like a ton of brick. I had no idea exactly what he meant. But that was that first nudge, that impulse, that pervenient grace. It was the Holy Spirit going, psst, dummy. Pay attention. This is important. You need to file this away. And I did. I knew that he had just said something critically important to me, but I had no idea what it meant at the time. It wasn't like, you know, he said that to me and then all of a sudden I turned on a dime and my life changed. No, that would have been great, but it didn't. But what it did do was get me to pause on the track I was on and think, maybe there is something else. I, I don't know. So that was really crucial. And then you fast forward about 15 years. Lynn and I had been married. Uh, we got married in 1978. So whatever time this was from, we got married in 78. So it was longer than that. This was 20 years after, 10 years after that. We were at Middlebrook Pike United Methodist Church. We, we started going to church there. The Holy Spirit used that old trick about, well, you've got a daughter now. We had one daughter at the time. She was three. She, you should raise her in church like you were raised in church. We we're like, who said that? That, I think that's a good idea, though. So we did. And then, of course, got in church, started studying the Bible, started going to Sunday school. And, re and then God just like, I <laughs> got you now, buddy. I got you on my turf. Now I'm going to teach you who I really am. And I realized, yeah, he really does love me in spite of all the stuff I've done. So I started thinking, you know, could I... Can I be a pre? Because I was teaching Sunday school, teaching Bible studies. I mean, I was all in at that point. And I'm like... Could he? Could this be a? Could I be a preacher? I was kind of running all that in background. hadn't said anybody, thing anybody yet. So we were having a stewardship campaign at the church, and the pastor uh, asked me if I would do a three-minute 
sermon speech about why I give to God. And so I was like, oh, I'm on it. And, you know, I had this, I had a story at the beginning and I had a point in the middle and a prayer at the end. You know, it was just like this little three-minute sermon and I was so excited and I practiced it and had it ready. And Gil, Gil Smith was my pastor at the time. His father, Paul Smith, was one of the venerated preachers in the, in the Holston Annual Conference. Great preacher. And he was there to, to preach that Sunday. He was doing a camp meeting for us for a couple of days. So, so I did my little speech, and, uh, and after the service was over, we were downstairs in the choir room, and we were taking off our robes. I sang in the choir at that time, and he came over to me, and he said, son, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm in the radio business. And he kind of stepped back and looked at me, and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, I think you're in the wrong business. And this time I knew exactly what he meant. And it was like one of those touchstones along the way. It's like press box view. Okay, I could do this. Somebody else has noticed that maybe I have something that God could use and I could do that. And that only happens. The, the difference in the first time it happened and that time it happened is I, I knew the context I understood that that's the way God works. I was growing closer to him through Bible study and all these things. And I then was able to, to get up in the press box and look down and see how it is that God will connect the dots if we let him. Uh, and, and it led to then, well, eventually it led to this, you know, 30 plus years later. Now, to be clear, God, God did not need me to manage the kingdom of God for him. God would have, his kingdom would have come just the way it is right now if I had never become a preacher. But he was willing to use me in whatever way he would if I was willing to see it from his perspective. And here's the thing. If you don't have that perspective and something bad happens, then you have no context in which to interpret it. Uh, and I'll give you a quick example. I, I was flying at the time. I was still in the radio business, and I was, I, would, I was a pilot, and Pete Michaels was our traffic reporter, and he had to go out of town for, he was going out of town for a month. And he said, I will rent you a plane and, let you, and pay to have your license renewed if you would fly and do traffic for me. I could. I was, I was a, a programming and, and management at that time, and I wasn't on the air, so I had the time to do it, so I did. And... Uh, so I was flying again, and man, I, I've always loved airplanes, still do. When I hear an airplane, I, I, I just have to look up. And of course, with vertigo, you have to do this when you look up. But I have to look up and see what it is. Still desperately love airplanes. And that, and that bug rebit me during this period of time. So, so parallel to this, I'm, I'm studying the Bible. I'm teaching Bible studies. I'm starting to think about, boy, you know, could I, could I be a preacher? But then that started getting pushed back because I'm thinking, you know what? I could go back and finish my commercial license and I could get my instrument rating and I could start being a ferry pilot, ferrying planes from here to there, building time. And I, I wanted to fly again so badly. And it just completely took my focus until Christmas Day in 1991, I've told the story when I had my father-in-law up in a little Cessna 150 just buzzing around, went to the mountains, and that was where I first discovered I had vertigo. Uh, and I was flying the plane, and my interior head was barrel rolling. And I'd never experienced that before. Scared me to death. Uh, 
So I got us back on the ground, obviously safely, and I went to the doctor and he sent me to a neurologist and they did, a, they did an MRI and typical neurolo neurologist humor. He said, well, we, 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 gave, we looked it in your head and we didn't find anything. <laughs> I said, do you use that every time? Yeah, pretty much, he said. So the good news was there was nothing wrong other than I had this positional vertigo that I still have today. So he said, here's the deal. Uh, you're going to find you're not going to die. You just need to learn to not to do some things that trigger it. You can get some therapy for it. It may last your whole life. It may go away. But you, here's the deal. You can't fly anymore because you never know what's going to come back. And I was so mad. I thought I had this all figured out. I thought I'm going to be a pilot. I mean, I just thought it was all working out. I thought, I thought that had been why Pete Michaels asked me to, to do traffic reports and get me flying again. And I was going to be a pilot and it was going to be awesome until it wasn't. And I got angry. And I've never heard the audible voice of God. I don't claim to have ever. But one day in the car, I was just praying out loud, Lord, I don't understand why I have this vertigo. I don't understand why I can't fly anymore. And it was like the Holy Spirit. It was like, it was like God was sitting there looking at me, you know, with his chin on his fist, drumming his fingers on the table, just waiting for me to get it. And then it was like, Oh you, have some, oh, you have something else you want me to do. Now, God didn't give me vertigo. He didn't make me almost kill my father-in-law on Christmas Day <laughs> to make a point. My father gave me the, that, this, my vestibular apparatus, as they call it. I inherited it from my father. He used to call it the blind staggers. My father would be walking down the hall, and all of a sudden, he's just going like that. You know, I got, came by it honestly. No, I, that I got on my own. But what God said was, let's, let's look at this from a different perspective. And he even worked through that bad to make something that I can't begin to tell you how good the last 30 years of ministry, the 22 of which have been here, have been for Lynn and me. Unbelievable. God isn't bad, but God is at work in the bad to create good that you've never imagined. I could not have imagined the blessing of being able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and wind up being able to play my guitar again with a band like that on Sunday morning. I could have never imagined that in 1991. Never. But God did. I had vertigo. It, it took that to get me to follow his perspective. That was another bleacher moment, press box moment. He gives those to us. So, so, there, so God, God is not bad. And, and people think he is because they don't see it from his perspective. And God is not mad. This is the other one. And I've been here, you know, when I came off the road, that was one of the problems why I was so flippant with Father Rice. You know, I'm thinking, okay, I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I have lived a life so far beyond the life that I claimed I was going to live when I lifted my hand at a revival when I was 11 years old at First United Methodist Church, Sevierville. I mean, my goodness. I was a train wreck. It was, and I thought, there's, there's no way. God would want to have anything to do with me. And, and when things happened in my life that weren't good, I would just think, you know, it's God. He's just mad. And a lot of people, I've talked to so many people who feel that way, that bad things have happened to them because God was mad at them because they didn't do this or they did do that. And they turned away from the church and they just think God's mad. 
I had a guy at a church, uh, at church before this one who cancer came out of the blue, and he was just sure. It was because he hadn't been going to church very much. He came occasionally. And because he did some things that he thought he shouldn't do, he probably shouldn't have, but, you know, anyway. And I read him this verse. This is Jesus in John uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Jesus, as he went along, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. Now, there are a lot of bad things that can happen to us, and that's, that's one of them. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? See, that's that cause and effect thing. Obviously, you messed up. That's what Job is. There's, that's what Job's friends talk to him about. Oh, if you ever read the book of Job, you know, you're having all this trouble because you messed up. And that's what the disciples thought. But Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It doesn't say that God gouged his eyes out so he couldn't see, but it says this happened so that I could be glorified. And he was. Jesus healed the man so that all could see, and God was glorified in it. But it wasn't because anybody had messed up. It's because life happens, and sometimes people are born blind, and sometimes people get cancer, and sometimes 18-year-olds have car wrecks and die, and I've done those funerals before. You know, sometimes all sorts of terrible things happen because we live in a world where everybody has free will. And sometimes people don't, sometimes people let their free will overlap on our free will. Or we let ours get out of control. And we do all sorts of things to hurt ourselves. But God is not up there going, gotcha. See what you did? Pawns come. He doesn't do that. He didn't go to that cross because he thinks we're pond scum or because he thinks we're damaged goods and not worth it. He didn't do that. He did that because he loves us. And I'll give you the best example I can think of. One more quick story. Little Christy, our second daughter, just a pixie. She's still a pixie, and her daughters are pixies. They're one. She, when she was about, I don't know, three, Lynn, maybe, when she had her, she had a side ponytail. And Lynn just kept letting it grow. This little ponytail was like this sprout of water and, and spout out of her head. And then it just kept growing down and growing down. She had her hair cut pretty short. It hung down below the rest of her hair. And it was so cute. Until the day she decided what it would be like to just cut it off. And so she got a hold of some scissors and she just cut it off right down to the scalp. And Lynn walked in, and Lynn said to her what moms say in a moment like that. Wait till your father gets home. <laughs> so, so I did. I got home. And she called me and told me about it. And I got home, and Christy was sitting on her bed. And her eyes were puffy and red. And she'd been basically crying all day. You know, she, she, her hair looked terrible. But she had disappointed her daddy. And she was heartbroken. And I walked in, and I saw her sitting there. <laughs> her, little, her little feet couldn't even touch the floor on her bed. And her eyes were all red, and she looked up at me. Her little lip was quivering. I didn't say a word. I just walked over to her, and I picked her up. And I sat down on her bed, and she was facing me, and I put her in my lap. And I just held her, and I patted her back. I still do that to our grandchildren. Then they pat me back now, and it's awesome. <laughs> I just patted her back, and I was, shh. 
I know, it's okay. See, the last thing in the world she needed was for me to tell her how bad she had messed up. There was been no point. What she did need was grace. And this is the image I always have when I find myself that messing up. And I think that God's just probably pushed him too far and that's it. And you know, that doesn't mean that we don't have to deal with the repercussions of what we've done. She had this gap in her hair for a long time. God's not going to miraculously just make that come back, you know. So she had to live with that. We all have to live with these things. But it doesn't mean God's up there punishing us. God is, wants to hold us and just pat us and go, I know. I know, I know. God isn't mad. It was love when you were born that gave you your first chance. And it's that same love that gives you the next one. Don't forget that. God isn't mad. He isn't bad and he isn't mad. He loves you and wants the very best for you. So don't confuse reaping the consequences of what we do with God punishing us. And, and don't be confused with bad things happen in the world because God is bad or doesn't care. We live in this world and God wants to live in it with us through Jesus Christ. He wants to be there every step of the way. I mean, you know, think about the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman was the talk of the town in her village for all the wrong reasons. What did Jesus do? He sat down and told her how to find water living water. He changed her life. He told her that she could have new life, you know. What about Zacchaeus, the tax collector? Tax collectors were hated by everybody. Most of them were pretty selfish and they made a lot of money off the backs of their Jewish kinfolk. And Jesus went through the village. Zacchaeus was literally up a tree, literally and figuratively up a tree. And Jesus stopped by and he said, Zacchaeus, come down here. I want to have dinner at your house tonight. And it says salvation came to his home, his whole house. And poor Peter, <laughs> poor Peter couldn't get out of his own way, wound up betraying Jesus. And yet Jesus came to him on the lake after the resurrection and cooked breakfast for him and said, you're still mine, Peter. You're still his. All these people thought all these bad things had happened and there was no grace and no love, but there's plenty of grace and plenty of love. So all I want to say to you now is this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to give it very serious consideration. You'll never be a complete human being without that, and you'll never be able to have that press box view without ever occasionally being able to get up there and look at your life from God's perspective. He wants to share that with you, but you've got to open a line of communication, your spirit to his, and that communication comes through Jesus Christ. And if you're not doing anything to cultivate that context, I encourage you to do that. Little Bible study. We make it so easy. Just, just get our podcast. Sign up for our podcast and get a daily devotional read to you every day, including a prayer. You can even get the scripture read to you if you just go on one of the many websites where they'll re where it'll read it to you right from your phone. I mean, start doing that. Get involved in a Bible study. Come to church a little more. Get it active in your church. Do these things that create this context this relationship out of which God then will bless you with these press box views and you can see and he will surprise you with goodness right in the midst of what you think is badness. But he will. I've seen it over and over and over. So that's what I want today to be about. I love you. 
I can't tell you. I'll be back in here next week. I'm preaching one more time in here next week, and then that'll be it. But I know you all aren't going to be here. There'll be two, and it'll be more divided next week, and maybe some of you won't be here. I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll come back every Sunday. But I love you. You've been so good to Lynn and me and to our girls. You've been so good. And this church has, has enriched us far beyond anything I could have ever done to enrich it. So I say thank you. And remember, it's about Jesus. Let him surprise you with his goodness. That's what he lives for. It's what he died for. And that's what he lives again to do. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love that is so good and surprises us constantly if we'll just slow down and look. Thank you, God, for the grace that comes when we mess up, that dusts us off and gets us along our way. Oh, God, thank you. All that we've witnessed, Lord, thank you. All the goodness we've witnessed, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.